We're in Numbers chapter 21. Last week, we preached a message entitled, The Doctrine of Hope. I was surprised. I have gotten more feedback and, and, and more chatter over that message than I have over any in a long time. That, that's encouraging to me because while the message is God's, I'm glad to know that I'm at least somewhat tuned in to what he wants me to preach. And uh, I hope the same is true today. You'll remember we talked about the property of hope, where it resides, how uh, your property, the property of hope, where is your hope built? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That should be the property of your hope. And then this is out of Romans chapter 5, by the way. And then the process of hope. <laughs> we, like, we, we don't like the process, do we? Processes are tough. But there's a process to hope. There's decision, and with decision comes a burden, and burden builds endurance and finally leads to a deeper belief. That's the process. But then, once you've got the right property and you've gone through the process, then you can enjoy the product. The product of hope is calm and cheer and confidence. I did not intend for this to become a series. But the Lord spoke to me this week and made it so. And so last week we talked about the doctrine of hope. We find ourselves in Numbers 21. I'll give you a quick narrative of what we read. Aaron has recently died, and they've had a great victory over the Canaanites under King Arad. But in verse 4, we find the children of Israel getting, quote, discouraged. Why are they discouraged? They're discouraged by God's path. They don't like where he's taking them. They're discouraged by his provision. They don't like what he's given them. And this discouragement soon gives way to complaint and all-out rebellion. And God chastens them by sending fiery serpents. And many died from the bites of these snakes. And they cried to Moses. And they asked him to convince God to take these snakes away. God's response to Moses is this, to make a serpent out of brass, and put it up on a pole. You ever had God give you an answer that just didn't make sense? Happens to me a lot. See, God's not, God's not obliged to make sense to me. God tells me what to do, and my job is to obey it. Doesn't have to make sense to me. And I am sure there are a whole lot of people saying, he said, do what? Make a serpent out of brass and put it up on a pole. And anyone who's bitten by one of these serpents, if you'll only look to that brazen serpent up on that pole, you'll be healed. Now, it may not seem so at first, but this story teaches us a great deal about something we need. Last week, we talked about the doctrine of hope. This morning, I believe the Lord would have us spend some time talking about the doctrine of faith. And if you... Uh, Know your Pauline epistles, you can probably guess what next week's going to be. The doctrine of faith. Father, would you help us this morning to glean from this exactly what we need? It's not lost on me how many people are hurting and how badly we need you to increase our faith. 
Lord, I thank you for what you've, what you've done in this church. I thank you for what you did last week. God, would you speak to hearts this morning? Would you get us where we need to be? There's somebody here today that's not saved. I pray they trust Christ. And I pray that Christians would activate faith in their lives that's so desperately needed. And in all of this, may Jesus be lifted up. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. By the way, while I'm thinking about it, I thank the Lord for what he did in Neighborhood Bible Time. Uh, the last one that I heard, and it may have been more than that now, I heard the last count, seven young people made professions of faith, trusting Christ as their Savior. We thank the Lord for that. We had a number of decisions made throughout the week, and actually there's, there's a handful that have signed up to come to church every Sunday morning. And so this is, uh, this is the jump start that our bus ministry desperately needs. And so we're thankful. Help us pray for us as we follow through on that and uh, try to continue to reach folks. And uh, we're just very thankful for the week that God has given us. We're talking about faith. So let's begin where we probably should. I'm all about defining terms. So let's begin with the definition of faith. Because if we don't have the right definition, then we're not going to get very far. And, and a lot of times when you ask somebody to define faith, where's the first place they go? Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's faith. Well, that verse may describe faith, and it does, but it doesn't really define it. When you continue reading Hebrews 11, you find, first of all, in verse 1, faith described, but then you find faith demonstrated. By faith, Moses. By faith, Abraham. By faith, by faith, by faith. And it demonstrates this faith active in these folks' lives. We call this the hall of faith. Okay? But it still doesn't define it. What you have to do is you have to take all of these examples, these demonstrations of faith, and this description of faith, and put it all together and extrude from that. What a great word. Extrude from that. Let me say it again. Extrude from that. I love words. Extrude from it. Pull from it. A definition of faith. So here's, here's the definition. I meant to put this up there, and I just forgot. I'm sorry. So listen closely. Faith, by definition, is responding appropriately to information that you determine is reliable. Faith is responding appropriately to information you determine is reliable. For instance, I have some information about this chair. We bought these chairs maybe five years ago, something like that. And it took some of y'all some time to warm up to them, I get it. But we bought these chairs, and in the last five years or so, I've gathered some information about them. Number one, I have yet to see any of them collapse under anyone who sat down in them. Okay? Um... I have gathered information by handling these chairs, by um, putting the, the legs on these chairs, the feet on these chairs, and feeling the, the sturdiness of these chairs. This is all information that I've gathered. And so the information that I've gathered, I've determined to be reliable, and so that leads me to feel completely comfortable with sitting in this chair. Because the information about this chair that I have tells me I can trust it. Amen. Now, I've been
even in some of your homes. And some of you have beautiful furniture that are like the furniture my grandmother had. It's for looking, not for sitting. And some of you have even antique furniture. I am north of 200 by a good bit, okay? I don't have enough information about that chair that I deem reliable to sit in it. What is faith? Faith comes down to this, friend. If you deem this information to be reliable and you act accordingly, that's faith. That's faith. Faith is responding appropriately to information that you determine is reliable. So when you look at these people, these Israelites in Numbers chapter 21, there were some of them, many of them, that did exactly what Moses said to do. It didn't make any sense. They'd never heard of anything like this before, but the information that Moses gave them, they determined was reliable, and so they followed through, they responded appropriately, and looked at the brazen serpent. Why was it reliable? It was reliable because it came from God. And that's all faith is. I get information from God, and I either think it's reliable, or I don't think it's reliable. That's faith. It is really, really important that we understand this definition moving forward. Faith is not blind. Faith is not just willy-nilly. There is a fine line between faith and foolishness. Well... I'm just going to run and jump off this cliff because I have faith. Well, what has happened is you have not gotten any reliable information whatsoever. That's not faith. It's foolishness. Faith is not meant to be blind. It is meant to respond appropriately to reliable information. God doesn't ask any of us, any of us, to blindly leap into anything. He gives us 66 books of guidance to tell us what we ought to do. Faith. That's the definition of faith. Let's say it again. Responding appropriately to information you determine is reliable. Now, let's look at a demonstration of faith. How does one demonstrate the presence of authentic faith. It's one word. Obedience. You cannot separate faith from obedience. Well, Andy, I don't know if I agree with that. Okay, let's get into it. Moses said, here's what God said. If you've been bitten by a serpent, look at that brazen serpent up there and you'll be healed. They have a choice right then and there. I am either going to obey what God said to do or I'm not. So if somebody's there and they've been bitten by this snake, man, alive, this hurts. What? Look at a brazen, that's crazy. No, I'm just going to go ahead and get my buddy to bandage this thing up and hope for the best. What have they done? They've disobeyed God's word and there's no faith to be found. 
But somebody on the other side of town, or the encampment more accurately, gets bit by a snake. They're told what God said, and they obey what happens. They're healed. If we are exhibiting real faith, then we're going to be endeavoring to live in obedience. I'm not saying we're always going to be perfect at it. But if there's real faith, there's obedience. You can't separate them. First of all, in the matter of our salvation. Well, I thought salvation wasn't of works. It's not of works. But there's still an obedience attached to faith, is it not? Let's read it. 1 Peter 4, verse 17, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? So what are they obeying? What's the obedience associated with faith for salvation? Romans 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. What's it say in verse 13? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Acts 16.31, the Philippian jailer, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him. What is the obedience factor in the matter of faith for salvation? The obedience is believe on Christ. As you hear the gospel, if you're unsaved, as you hear the gospel, you have a choice. I am either going to obey the gospel in faith, or I'm going to disobey the gospel and no faith. See? You can't separate it. Because not only is that true for our salvation, it's true for our service. As we're saved and want to live for God, if we're going to live by faith, that means we're going to live in obedience. That's what James was talking about in James chapter 2. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. What does dead mean? It doesn't mean you're not saved. It means it's not doing you any good, and it's not doing anybody else any good. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. We're talking about faith demonstrated. I have a really hard time, and I'm not trying to be judgy, and I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to be biblical. I'm trying to be helpful. I have a really hard time with somebody who tells me my faith is very important to me, and yet they don't believe, the, they, don't, they don't obey the Bible in any way, shape, or form. If there's no obedience, I got news for you, friend. There's no faith. You see, we see faith defined, responding appropriately to information you determine is reliable. We see faith demonstrated. So then number three, what is the demand of faith? Okay, Andy, you're saying I need to have faith. What exactly does that entail? How much faith do I need to have? What does faith demand of me? And this is where a lot of even Christians get really, really messed up. What does real faith demand of us? Perfection? I've lived my whole Christian life and I've never doubted God, not for a moment. Liar. (laughs) I've been saved since I was six years old and since then I haven't sinned. Liar. Sit over there. Because I want to be far enough away from the lightning 
when it comes down. I want to ask you a question. We're going to get, we're going to, get to how, what this means in numbers, okay? But I want to ask you a question. If your faith is riddled with doubt, is it still effective? And is it still faith at all? Now, this is where a lot of Christians struggle. I doubt a lot, preacher. My faith's not very strong. And that's why nothing's happening in my life is because my faith, my faith isn't what it ought to be. And I doubt. And I, you know what happens in those conversations? I hear a whole lot of my's and I's and me. And, and, and that, there's, there's the problem. What happens in your life that's good isn't you. It isn't me. It's him. I hope you all will forgive me. I'm about to do a little bit of, I'm about to have a family whooping. I am, I am part of a group that identifies as independent fundamental Baptists. Now, we're taking some hits lately, and, and rightly so, because some of our brethren and sistren in the IFB movement have done some pretty dumb things. Okay. But it doesn't change the fact that I'm a Baptist by conviction, we're independent of any association or convention, and I believe in the fundamentals of the faith. So I can't help but be IFB, I guess. But here's one of the problems we've had over the last couple of generations. We have been so performance-based and so checklist-oriented that when people don't live up to a man-made standard, we automatically assume, well, I'm a terrible Christian and God won't do anything in my life. Oh, you know me well enough to know I believe in holy living. I believe there's things a Christian ought to do and there's things a Christian shouldn't do. I believe all of that. But what we've done is we've made it all about us. And we've pushed Jesus right out of the equation. So that at the end of the day, I've been a good Christian today. Because I did this, and I did this, and I did not do this, and I did not hang around with this person, and I can feel good about my... Let me tell you why you should feel good about yourself. You should feel good about yourself because you are blessed, you are highly favored, God sent his son to die for you, and he paid the price for your sins. That's why you should feel good. Amen. Not because of anything you've done. But, but we have this idea. Why don't we have that family life center yet? It must be because my faith is imperfect. I got news for you. My faith is imperfect. Yeah. I have moments where I'm like, that thing's never going to happen. I'll be honest with you. I, I have moments where I'm like, I should have just not even brought it up. I should have just not even brought it up and kept playing the lottery. No, no. I should have just not even brought it up. That was a joke, y'all. I play the lottery. So until my faith is what it ought to be, I guess we're never going to have it. Let's dig into that, shall we? I got 10 minutes. Is faith riddled with doubt still effective faith, or is it even faith at all? I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a, a litmus test that Curtis Hudson, who's now in heaven, gave, and I agree with it. Over here, this, this Christian flag here is going to stand for absolute certainty. Absolute certainty on a given subject. Okay? 
The American flag over here is going to stand for absolute denial. Absolute certainty, absolute denial. Anywhere in between those two points is faith. Now, a strong faith is closer to certainty, isn't it? A weak faith is closer to denial. But faith is not denial and it's not certainty. Be honest. Be honest. Have you ever in a moment of weakness thought to yourself, I wonder if we got it right. What what if the Muslims got it right? What if my Jehovah's Witness neighbors are actually Little moments. What if the evolutionists are right? What if the atheists are right? We all have these moments, fleeting moments. Does that mean that your faith is completely illegitimate? The answer is no. It just means that in that particular moment, you're more towards the denial than you are towards the certainty. We move on this this plane constantly. And some days, my faith is so strong, man, I'm going to tell you, you could knock me off anything. And some days, I'm like the guy in Mark chapter 9, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. It's this plane, this continuum that we're on. It's not a multiverse, just a continuum, okay? That's faith. Now, I'm going to give you something, and then I'm going to give you some scripture to back it up. Listen closely. Doubtful faith, doubtful faith may impact your level of blessing but it will not impact the outcome. Well, Andy, I don't know if I believe that. All right, let's dig into it. Four times in the Gospels, we see Jesus chide the disciples using this phrase, O ye of little faith. Four times. He chided them four times, and presumably they lost some blessings because of it. But you know what I find in all four occasions? The outcome was still the same. The person still got healed. They still got delivered through the storm. They still made it to the other side. The outcome was the same. They just lost blessings along the way. Oh, I got you, Andy. Ha, gotcha. Matthew 17, Mark chapter 9. There was a different outcome because the disciples didn't have enough faith. Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration and the disciples were trying to cast this demon out of this boy and they were unable to and Jesus said that this kind doesn't come out but by prayer and fasting. See there, their faith was weak. They didn't have enough faith and so they didn't get it done. Change of outcome. Wrong. For two reasons. Number one, he never said it was because of their lacking of faith that that boy, he said prayer and fasting. He never said that. He never said it was their lack of faith that didn't get it done. What did he say? If you read the verse, uh, let me give you one in particular, uh, Matthew 17, 20. He didn't chide their lack of faith. He chided their unbelief. There is a big difference between a doubt and a lacking of faith and unbelief. Big difference. You understand there's a difference, right? Number two. He said, well, still, there was a different outcome. Did the boy get healed or did he not? 
You've even got the father saying, I believe, help thou mine unbelief, if thou can do anything. And the boy, the demon was cast out of him, and the boy was healed and made whole. It was still the same outcome. Now, back to Numbers 21. Y'all all been bit by snakes. God said, if you'll look at that brazen serpent, you'll be healed. So Jessica looks at it with 20-20 vision, sees it perfectly clear, can even see the, the little scales on the snake. Is she healed? Yeah. But you got Crystal here. She's 20-60, a little blurry. Doesn't see it as clearly. Is she still healed? Yeah. Brother Davies over here. He's 2100. More blurry still. But he looks towards the direction of that snake. Is he healed? You got me, nearly legally blind in my left eye. See? That snake's going to be real blurry for me. Am I still healed? Now here's one. This is a little theoretical. Let's say you got Jeriana, who's blind. She's been bit by a snake. She's heard the word. She's believed it. And she asked her mom, would you just point my eyes in the direction of that snake? Is she healed? Yeah, she is. And I can prove it later. I can prove it later. Now, what do we learn from that? It is not the strength of your eyesight that mattered. It didn't matter how clearly you saw. All that mattered was that what eyesight you had was pointed in the right direction. Now, what's that have to do with faith? When I got saved, it wasn't about how strong my faith was. It's that I took what faith I had, weak, vacillating, doubting, but I pointed it in the right direction. And some people, when they get saved, oh, man, it's like heaven opened and people are shouting. And I mean, there's a life that's changed. And oh, I'm going to tell you, I've been saved 20 years and I've never doubted for a minute. Praise the Lord. I'm happy for you. But then you got this one over here. He got saved and he struggles all the time. And he still, he still fights off the demons that he had before he got saved because once you cultivate appetites, you can suppress them but rarely get rid of them. And he still struggles with what he used to look at. He still struggles with what he used to drink. He still struggles with what he used to see. He still struggles with what he used to, he used to in, in, in intake through his lungs. He still struggles with those things. Is he any less saved? No, not if he took what mediocre mishmash faith that he had and put it in Jesus. Faith does not demand perfection. It demands direction. On the other side of it, you can have the strongest faith in the world, but if it's in the wrong object, guess what? You're in trouble. I don't mean to be unkind, but it's a, it's a, it's a useful illustration. Five people put complete faith in a man who said a submersible was strong enough to get them to the Titanic. Demonstrated great faith, and they perished. Why? Because the object of their faith didn't live up to what it was supposed to. 
Any given day, you might see a couple of fellas in white shirts and dark ties with gold name tags going through the neighborhood. They're Mormons. They got all kinds of faith in the wrong object. We've seen the definition of faith, responding appropriately to information you determine is reliable. The demonstration of faith in one word is obedience. The demand of faith it doesn't demand perfection. It demands direction. And number four, whatever faith you have, weak, strong, deep, shallow, whatever it is, make sure that you focus it on the designer of our faith. The designer. How do you get that? Is that the only D word you could come up with? No. How do I get that? Or if we're seeing we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author, the pioneer, the designer of our faith. Now, here's why I believe a blind person would have still been healed. Here's why. Because the brazen serpent never had any power to heal anybody. It was just a symbol. How do you know it was just a symbol? Because hundreds of years later, a certain king named Hezekiah destroyed it because it had become an idol. He called it Nehushtan, a brass thing. People began worshiping it. And, and, And Hezekiah, rightly so, you know what he did? He got rid of it. Hey, Christians, there's some Nehushtans in our lives we could stand to get rid of too. Sometimes we make the past an idol. Time to give up on some of that stuff and move on to something more biblical, more useful. You see, the whole point of this thing was not that people see a snake on a pole. They weren't looking to the snake on the pole. Whether they realized it or not, they were looking beyond it. They weren't looking at a serpent. They were looking at their Savior. They weren't looking at an asp. They were looking at their advocate. They weren't looking at a python. They were looking at their paraclete. They weren't looking at a cobra. They were looking at their Christ. They weren't looking at a viper. They were looking at the victor. They weren't looking at a mamba. They were looking at their Messiah. What am I saying? They weren't looking at this thing of brass, this Nehushtan. No, this faith was looking beyond that and seeing that which it represented. How do I know that? Jesus himself said it. John 3, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. Our faith is not rooted in the symbolic, friend. Just because you wear a cross around your neck does not make you a person of faith. 
Just because you have some religious ritual in your back pocket does not mean you're a person of faith. Just because you've been in the water does not mean you're a person of faith. Just because you dress the way your other Christian brothers and sisters dress or just because you're a member of this denomination or this church does not make you necessarily a possessor of real faith. Our faith is not rooted in the symbolic. Our faith is rooted in our Savior, Jesus Christ. It is not the strength of their faith or your faith or even the serpent itself that saved the Israelites. It was the object, the designer of their faith. That's what saved them. The strongest faith in the world and the wrong object won't save you. So what? When I was a kid, and I'd go on a field trip or something like that, my mom would give me money for food, maybe even a souvenir, something like that. And she'd give me that money. And then before I left for school, she'd ask me two questions. Do you have your money? Yes. Where is it? It's here in my pocket. Do you have it? Where is it? That's our so what, y'all. Question number one. Faith. Do you have it? Because if you don't, you're lost and you're undone and you're on your way to hell. That, That brazen serpent was symbolic of Jesus. How in the world could a serpent be symbolic of Jesus. It's interesting. The snake in the Bible is a type, it is a picture of sin. What was it made of? Brass. You know what brass is a picture of? Judgment. What was that snake a picture of? Judged sin. They put it up on a pole. What was Jesus on that pole? Judged sin. He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus took our sins upon himself and paid the price that we deserve to pay. He died in our place. He suffered the wrath of God for us. What is our faith prescribed that we do? What is the obedient response in faith to that truth? Look to him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care how weak your faith is. I don't care how waffling it is and wavy it is and everything else. Put it in Jesus, and it's enough. Because it is not the measure of your faith. It is the object of your faith. Well, I won't be able to live it. There you go with I again. Your salvation is based not on what you have done or will do. It's completely founded on what Jesus has completed. That's it. 
Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Second question. I've got faith. I'm on my way to heaven. Okay. Got your faith. On a day-to-day basis, where is it? Is it in you? Because I have that problem. Some days I feel like the church is floundering. Offerings aren't what they should be. Salvations are not at the level I'd like to see. Attendance isn't what I'd like to see. Some, like an idiot, I get on social media and see some preacher down the road doing something that's just really blowing out the seams, and I'm like, well, can I do that? You know what I find about that? When I start thinking like that, all of a sudden, my faith turns inward, and it's all about me. You got your faith. Where is it? Now, on a human level, do I place a great deal of faith in my wife? I do. She's earned that. But on a spiritual level, the Bible says don't put confidence in man. If my marriage is what it ought to be, it's because of God, not because of me. If this church is what it ought to be, it's because of God, not because of me. If my kids turn out the way we'd like to see them turn out, it's because of God, not because of me. If that loved one you've been praying for to get saved gets saved, it's because of God, not because of you or because of me. But what do we do? We tend to make it all about us, and then when things don't come through, our faith is shattered all the worse, and it gets weaker and weaker and weaker because it's too much about us and not enough about him. Granite Christian Academy is doing as well maybe as it's ever done. I don't know all the financials from the early days. I know we've, we've had a hair over in, in enrollment, what we have right now, but not by much. Why is that? Let me go on record. I thank God for every teacher that's come through this place. I thank God for every volunteer. I thank God for every principal. I thank God for the one that we have now. I thank God for parents, and I thank God for students. I thank God for all of that. But let me tell you why Granite is where it is right now. It's because God sat me down years ago and reminded me in a very profound way, you can't do anything. If granite makes it, it'll be because of me. So what did he do? He sent us the right people along the way. He sent us the right students. He sent us the right parents. He sent us the right principals. He sent us the people we have now. What do we say about all that? This is the Lord's doing. And it's marvelous in our eyes. Maybe what we need to do in those areas in which our faith is lacking is be reminded, you know what? I can't do anything anyway. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to obey what I need to obey. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to follow God, and I'm going to be in his word. But when it comes down to seeing actual product, I'm just going to let God be God and do what only God can do. Andy, my faith is so weak. It's okay. You don't need strong faith. You've got a strong God. And fundamentally, that's where we all start.
May God help us to dive in and live the biblical doctrine of faith.